Good morning. Um, we're reading from Luke, cha Luke chapter 7, verses 1 to 17, and it's on page 730 in this Bible. Page 730, reading from uh, verse 1 of chapter 7. When Jesus had finished saying all this in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some of the elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and he has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. And that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd, following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Good morning, everyone. <clears throat> and uh, you may have noticed from the Bible reading that we're back into the life and the ministry of Jesus, uh, having uh, finished our series on 2 Corinthians last week. Over the next um, five or six weeks, we're going to be uh, looking at uh, Luke chapters 7 and 8. Uh, we're picking up on a, a series that we, uh, uh, we paused back in, in the end of April and coming back into Luke's Gospel. And uh, I uh, <clears throat> commend Benjamin on his uh, uh, foresight in putting the passage for next week into the uh, bulletin uh, so that you can uh, have a look at that. I might have a look at myself. That might be helpful for my <laughs> knowing what I'll be preaching on next Sunday. 
But uh, can I now just lead us in prayer because we, uh, the, all our words are useless unless God's spirit is at work and uh, in his word and in our hearts. So let's pray. Father, we uh, do thank and praise you for your living word. And uh, we thank you for the, 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 this, your Holy Spirit who takes that word and applies it to our minds and our hearts and changes us that we would be those who uh, know what it is to know Jesus and to have our faith in him and to live for him. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. I was at the zoo one day in one of those amphitheatres where you get to watch... Uh, uh, trained birds performing their tricks. Uh, have you ever been in one of those places? And uh, there we were, uh, the uh, bird trainer, the bird handler had this uh, uh, parrot uh, on her arm and uh, she said to us uh, that this bird, I can place an item in its beak and uh, let it go, it can fly away and come back with the item still in its beak. Do you believe me? Uh, to which we all said, yeah, of course, um, yeah, no worries, of course the bird can do that. And then she said, well, does anyone have a $20 note on them? <laughs> and uh, that for me was a, uh, a, an interesting moment because I had said yes, uh, but the question is, would I be prepared now to reach into my back pocket? Because that would be the, the proof, wouldn't it? That would be the test. Uh, did I truly have faith that my $20 note uh, would soon return to the safety of my wallet? <laughs> what do we mean by the word faith? I mean, when you think about it, it's, uh, it's the same as the word trust, isn't it? Uh, if you um, you know uh, if you say that you have your that you have faith in someone, what do you mean by that? It means that that you trust them. You know that if they make a promise, that they're someone who is going to keep their promise. Uh, if you get them to do a job for you, you know that they will do the job well because of what you know about them, their character, and your experience of them. And, how they live their lives. To have faith in someone means to trust them. Now, that's important, isn't it? Because it helps us to understand something very important uh, as Christians, and that is what it means to have faith in Jesus. Uh, faith of which there is a, a great example uh, in, uh, in that passage that was read to us earlier by Sue uh, in Luke chapter 7. You know, uh, when we uh, paused our series on Luke's what Gospel uh, back in the end of uh, April, uh, Jesus had just uh, preached a very significant sermon called the Sermon on the Plain uh, to a large crowd of people. And then in Luke chapter 7, if you'd like to have that opened up in your Bibles, Jesus and his disciples were about to enter a city called Capernaum. And uh, you can see uh, the map there of uh, Israel at the time of Jesus and Capernaum is way up in the north. I'm not sure if you can see it on your map, uh, but there it is. It's up there by, that, uh, by the Sea of Galilee up there in the north. Do you know that is a long way from Jerusalem, which is way down there in the south uh, these days, to drive between Jerusalem and Capernaum uh, on a highway? 
uh, well, it's about a 200-kilometre drive, uh, which you can imagine in the days of Jesus, that's a long journey on the back of a donkey, isn't it? Uh, so there we are. Jesus and his disciples are up in the far north of Israel. And at the time of Jesus, of course, uh, Israel was under Roman military occupation. And so there's no surprise that uh, a Roman soldier would have heard about Jesus and indeed uh, would have had his life changed by Jesus. Uh, This is what we see in uh, verses 1 through to 6, if you uh, care to follow with me, where we're told by Luke that when Jesus had finished saying all this in the hearing of the people, that's the Sermon on the Plain, he entered Capernaum. There was a centurion's servant whom his master valued highly was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you do this, because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. And so Jesus went with them. Now, this was no ordinary Roman soldier for two reasons. Firstly, unlike most of the other Roman occupiers, this man actually loved Israel. He loved the Jewish people. And for that reason, he had won the respect of the Jewish elders. And secondly, as a centurion, he was a commanding officer of a hundred soldiers which means that he had responsibility, he had authority, and he had power. But something which was beyond his power was the ability to heal, to heal a valued servant who was very sick and close to death. Now, that is a very humbling experience for anybody, no matter how... uh, how prestigious their position in society may be. Uh, It's a great leveller. A humbling experience when someone who you know, someone who you care for, someone who you love is sick and their life is rapidly ebbing away and you are powerless. You have no ability to do anything to change that. However, This Roman centurion had heard about Jesus and the miraculous healings which Jesus had performed. And sometimes we know that in a a desperate situation, people will grab hold of anything that offers some hope, any hope of healing. And even if there is no evidence for what has been promised, they grab hold of it because they've got nothing to lose. And it's understandable, isn't it? But that is not the case here. That This is not true of this centurion. This centurion uh, did not have irrational, blind faith in just any supposed miracle worker. And how do we know this? Well, firstly, because of his humility. You know, as a Roman soldier, he could have pressured Jesus into doing whatever he wanted, but instead... He did not consider himself to be worthy of Jesus. He didn't consider himself to be worthy of Jesus. Uh, And indeed, when Jesus uh, uh, 
went towards the man's home and, and, and when he was, he was approaching the home, he was close to the home, in verse 6, the centurion sent some friends out to, to meet Jesus and to ask Jesus not to come into his home, not to bother himself by doing that. Not because he didn't want Jesus in his home, under his roof, but because he did not consider himself to be worthy to have someone such as Jesus under his roof or even to be in the presence of Jesus, which is why he said he didn't go to meet Jesus himself. Now, Roman centurions were not fools. Uh, They were appointed uh, to their position uh, for good reason. Uh, They were appointed to their positions because of their ability to lead, to lead well, to lead rationally, to, re- to lead calmly, to lead wisely in extreme situations, in situations of great stress, in the, in the midst of battle. And this centurion had heard about the reports of Jesus. He'd heard of his many healings of people who were with leprosy and with paralysis He'd heard of Jesus driving out demons so, uh, that so, so afflicted people. He'd heard about his control over nature and he believed, having heard the reports, he believed these accounts to be evidence-based and credible. And therefore, he had reason to place his faith in Jesus. Now, we don't know uh, anything more about this centurion. We don't know about the things which he has seen in his life, the things which he has done in his life that bring him shame. But what we do know is that he knew that he was unworthy to be in the presence of someone with the authority and the power which Jesus had. And as a centurion, he knew what it meant to have authority, which is why in verse 6, he he knew that Jesus didn't even need to come into his home in order for his servant to be healed. And I wonder if you can imagine yourself in his place in that situation. I mean, honestly, honestly, uh, wouldn't you not feel more confident if Jesus actually did physically come to the bedside of your dying friend, your dying servant, wouldn't it make you feel more confident uh, in what was about to happen? But someone with true authority has only to issue a command and things happen. The centurion knew that. It's it's what he did every day in his his work as as a leader of men. The words which he speaks are powerful because of who he is and because of the authority that he has. So too, in verse 7, the centurion had no doubt whatsoever about the authority of Jesus. That Jesus only had to speak a word from anywhere and this man's servant would be healed. Now, in the Gospels, how many people are there who 
amaze Jesus. Have a think about that. How many people in the Gospels are we told bring amazement to Jesus? Can you think of any? I can't think of any except this man. Have a look in verse 9. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you the truth, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Even in Israel. Now, something which makes the God of Israel, the true God, different from any other supposed God in this world, is that the true God is a God who makes promises. I mean, God reveals himself to us through his creation. He reveals himself uh, through his actions. He reveals himself to us through his word. And his word is packed with promises. Many of those promises which had already come true uh, in the Old Testament. One of the great promises, one of the great promises is that one day God would visit his people and dwell with them. And how would they know when that had happened? How would they know when God had come to dwell amongst his people? Well, in the book of Isaiah, we're told that the, that, that, uh, that the blind will see, the deaf will hear, the lame will, will leap for joy in the coming of God amongst his people. And that is exactly what Jesus has been doing. And yet, when he visited his own people, when he visited even his own town, the town of Nazareth, people didn't believe in him. In Matthew chapter 13, we're told that when he went to Nazareth, and he, he did not perform any miracles there at all because of their lack of faith. That they didn't put their faith in Jesus. But this soldier, this soldier, he is not even from Israel. He's not even a Jew. He is a, a Roman. He is a Gentile. And yet Jesus according to him, is also the very best example of what it means to have faith. What it means to have faith. To trust in the power of Jesus and the authority of his word. Even Jesus was amazed. Although it must be said that um, <clears throat> in the actual healing of the servant, uh, in verse 10, Luke doesn't mention anything at all about Jesus even speaking a word for the servant to be healed. It doesn't mean he didn't speak a word, but just Luke doesn't say anything about it. Maybe Jesus, does, well, definitely Jesus doesn't even have to speak a word. He can will a person to be healed. But not speaking a word here necessarily is very different from what happens next. When in verses 11 through to 17, Jesus met a grieving widow. Check it out, verse 11. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain. And his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. Now, Nain is, on our maps, it is there. That is Nain. 
It's about t 10 kilometres southeast of Nazareth. It's about a day's walk from Capernaum. There it is. And as Jesus and those who were with him were about to enter Nain through the uh, city gate, there was another group of people who were leaving Nain from the city gate, and that was a funeral procession. A funeral procession because a woman who had already lost her husband has now lost her only son. It was his corpse which was being carried out. Now, they say, and it's true, isn't it, that uh, grief is the price of love. And uh, this mother's love for her son meant that she was now in very deep grief, in very deep sorrow. And her own future now is looking rather bleak. Because at that time, it was very difficult for a woman uh, to earn an income. There were very limited opportunities for a woman to earn an income by herself. And so without a son and without a husband, there would now be for her hardship ahead. And add to that that her family line was now at an end, which was important in the culture of the Jews. She was now even more helpless than the centurion was for her son was already dead. And notice that uh, no one actually reached out to Jesus for help. No one reached out to Jesus for help. But in heartfelt compassion, Jesus reached out to her. Verse 13. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. Now, notice here what Luke calls Jesus. How does he refer to Jesus here? He refers to Jesus as being Lord. And this is actually the very first time in his gospel that Luke gives Jesus the title Lord, for Jesus is about to reveal his power and authority uh, and the authority of his words, not just over sickness, not just over demonic possession, not just over nature, but his authority over death itself. And so he went up and he touched the, the coffin, which was really like a, a stretcher being carried with the, with the body on the stretcher. He touched it. Why do you think he did that? Well, by doing that, by touching this, this coffin, Jesus became ceremonially unclean in the sight of God. But this boy, this young man, became alive. Now, death, as we, as we all know, friends, is final. It's final. And it's... It's why we grieve. Because with all of our science and technology, with all of our knowledge, with all of our capacity, with all of our abilities, it is the one thing we have no power to reverse. It's final. 
But as the centurion said, Jesus only had to speak a word and things happen. Young man, he said in verse 14, get up. That's two words. Two very simple words. Get up. And he did. He sat up. He began to talk. And Jesus handed him back to his grieving mother. Wow. I mean, like many of us here, I've been to some pretty sad funerals in my time. I'm a minister. I conduct them. And it's this... This, this is really hard to imagine, isn't it? Two words. Get up. Get up. I mean, how, how would you react in that situation? Well, here in verse 16, the, the emotion of the crowd was absolutely transformed. It was transformed from, from grief and despair and hopelessness to now awe and praise of God. And they spread the news about Jesus, who wouldn't? You'd go and tell everyone, wouldn't you? It was a response from the crowd of faith, but it has to be said that it was foggy faith. Because though they were seeing Jesus, they were not really seeing Jesus. A great prophet, they said in verse 16, has, be, has appeared among us. But we know that Jesus is more than just a prophet. God has come to help his people, they said. But we know that God has come to be one of his people and to die for his people. You see, the question is, what is faith? And what is the basis of faith? Uh, go back to the situation of the Roman centurion when the Jewish elders went to Jesus to ask Jesus to come and to to heal the 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 centurion's servant uh, what was the reason that they gave Jesus as to why he should do this why should he come to the to the, to this centurion well the reason in verse 4 was because he deserves for you to do this he loves our people. He built our synagogue. He deserves for you to come. And yet that was not the view of the centurion who knew how unworthy he was. And neither is it true for you and me because none of us deserve the love of Jesus. <laughs> but that's why he came, to pay for our sins on the cross and to be raised up himself from death to life, so that we can be forgiven, so that we can enjoy life as God intended, life forever, life with God. Now, <laughs> some people think of faith as being uh, wishful thinking. Uh, you know, you, you believe in something because you, well, you hope it's true. <laughs> you know, you hope that God exists. You hope that Jesus was a man who came and did something and you hope that you're going to go to heaven when you die uh, when actually you don't really know if it's true or not because you've got no solid evidence to believe it. Sometimes for people 
Faith can be like a superstition, just believing in something which is, which is a myth. Or it can be like me at the zoo. When instead of pulling out a $20 note, in order to prove my faith, I pulled out a $50 note. And I've got to tell you, as that parrot <laughs> flew off into the wild blue yonder, I was beginning to doubt my faith. I was beginning to doubt my faith in the bird. Because faith means trust. And trust needs a reason. Evidence for the wisdom of that faith. In Romans chapter 10 verse 9, the Apostle Paul says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, Lord over life and death, Lord over this world, Lord over yourself, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. See, if faith means trust, then what is the most important thing about faith? It's the person in whom you place your faith. Are they worthy of your faith? Do you have solid grounds for believing that they are who they say they are and that they will do what they say that they will do? The important thing about faith is the person in whom you place your faith. So, do you trust in who Jesus is? Do you trust that the evidence of the miracles, the testimonies of those who are eyewitnesses, the accounts that have been passed on to us through the scriptures give you a solid reason for believing that this man is more than just a prophet, that he is God who has come amongst us. Do you believe that his death on the cross is the sufficient sacrifice to pay for your sins, even your sins? And do you believe the eyewitness accounts that this man who was dead and buried was raised again on the third day and was seen by hundreds of people. And that if his word is true, that he will come back again one day in judgment. Is that reason enough to put your faith in Jesus? Is Jesus worthy of your trust? And if so, have you put your trust in him as your Lord and your Saviour? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for these testimonies of Jesus, the accounts of all that he did. And Father, we thank you that uh, the account of his healings and his raising people from the dead has been passed on down through the centuries that that countless millions of people have put their trust in Jesus for 2,000 years. Father, we pray that we would be like that centurion who trusted in Jesus, trusted in his word, that we would trust in the promises that he gives of life eternal. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.